Well, says taking the drink, professionalism in the extreme. Mm -hmm. So this is um, episode two of the episodes that are being released currently, but I don't know how many of these we've done. Maybe... What, between me and you? Yeah, maybe like six, seven? I, th I think last time was six, so maybe seven this time. Okay. It doesn't really matter. Um, no. Because they won't come out like this anyway. No, well, this, this one's coming the, out... The, the sixth one to come out. No, this one's coming out Sunday and will be episode number two with Nate. Bro. I think we're on six episodes now. I did the mm. one with Jeff, and that was really excellent. I'm really looking forward to listening to that one. Is that one out yet? That one is out, yes. Okay, brilliant. I will listen to that probably either tomorrow or tonight. Yeah, I suppose that's a good jumping off point to get started on um, what we planned to talk about. Not that we plan these very well. Uh, I've never planned a podcast in my life more than just saying, let's sit down and record one, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but we want to talk about something... I don't know, I was pretty excited about the whole process that we went through over uh, last week. Um, and I think talking about it now is a great idea. Yeah, man. So basically, we were inspired by Jeff and his love of the avant-garde and metal and the occult and were compelled to make a game in the avant-garde avant -garde style. And well, mm -hmm. we were more just thinking we should do a game jam. And so we, we sort of grouped up. We're like, OK, let's get a get game jam that we can join in on. Found a random jam, submitted words. I submitted yeah, because the the uh, the game jam was called Jumble Jam, which uh, was a jam that was based off five words that were suggested by the people, the participants, and then um, uh, you had to incorporate those words into the game that you made. Exactly, and I I was thinking avant garde, so I contributed avant garde, and that was one of the words that got picked. I think you contributed perspective, which was also a word that got picked. Yeah. And then what were some of the other words? There was catastrophe, media, fear. and fear, yeah. Fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um, and the, the team we had was uh, my sound guy, Marcus, uh, who works on the project I'm currently working on. Um, your sound guy, Jarrett, who's a good friend of yours. Uh, the programmer, uh, Eddie, um, who is in Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee America. Yeah. Uh, and then your, uh, younger brother, Joe, who was sort of producer writer role. Yeah. Um, Joe, bless his heart, was desperate to get in engine and, and help out with all that side of things. And then as soon as he got it downloaded, realized, ah, oh, it's not going to work. So being the uh, diligent little worker that he is, he didn't let that stop him from participating. And uh, yeah, fair play to him. He was there every day for stand-up and, you know, smashed it. Yeah, he did a great job. For somebody who didn't have... Um, act, like, I couldn't work on the actual game game, he did a great job of working on the game still. Yeah, contributing and, and helping like in every way he could. Yeah. I think... Yeah, um, it was great. Yeah, I think we learned some really, like, 
super valuable things from that. I, I for one, learnt everything I know about the audio side of Unreal, which was incredible. It was so much to learn, and game jams just force you to learn it in like no time at all, which is sometimes really good. Obviously, you don't get the deepest understanding of the concepts, but it's you get a, you have to get it to a point where you can put it in, right? It has to be implemented. So, yeah. Um, that's what I really like about game jams in general is that you have, like, I find that I only learn by going through something start to finish. And even if it isn't perfect, but like to finish it is, is the, uh, the, the play, the, the way I, I learn the best, I, I suppose. Um, so game jams doing it over the course of, you know, like three days or a week or whatever, um, you have uh, so much opportunity to go through um, a concept to a, a, a finished game, for the lack of a better word, and uh, learning so much along the way. Like for example, I was on the, I did like level design. Um, I speed modeled like every asset in the game, uh, and uh, did the lighting. And, uh, and that that sort of side of things was was pretty much all down to me, and I learned a bunch of stuff like I hadn't designed a level ever. Yeah, and it's and... quite a, a rewarding little challenge, right? Like the the puzzle piece of trying to unlock what you're actually trying to say with your your level is you don't know until you start, but you can go in with a good idea, and then that helps a lot. I think you did some very smart like workflow practices where you were you started with a, a real world concept for a bunker and then elaborated from there and i think without going to that early reference phase maybe the design would have been a bit more generic like generic if i'd have done it it would have just been a, a square box but what we ended up with was this quite interesting y-shaped corridor essentially with like a central hub room yeah yeah so it goes to show that even when you're streamlining a process like um, working in a jam, that an initial research stage is really necessary. Um, which isn't something that I've ever thought wasn't necessary, but uh, it, to be honest with you, when I started out and was going to start making the room, I was in my head as well thinking this is going to be a square rectangular room um, with not much in it. Uh, and I don't know how to make that interesting. So the research side was really, really crucial um, to get to get it to somewhere like, like where we got it to. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I think the end result kind of... Uh needs to be played to be to be seen which is quite a cool thing i'm i'm really looking forward to i sent it to jeff already so i'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say about it um yeah me too but i was really happy with what we what we came out well i was what i was happiest with was the fact that this was the concept we went in with and one week later we had a finished game of that concept with a full play test and everything what was really great yeah what was really great about it was that it didn't really stray from the core concept that much. 
which is something that, to me at least, hadn't happened yet when, when it comes to game dev. Uh, a lot of the time, you get halfway down the ro road and you realise that something about this game is working more than the thing that you initially set out to do. And because of that, then you lean into that. But with this, it was we set out to do it. We set out to do a thing. And when we never deviated from that. And not because there wasn't, there was better ideas and we thought, oh, well, you know, we want to stay true to what the core idea of the game is. But we set out to do a thing and then we, yeah, we had a play test on the, was it the Thursday or the Friday? It was the Friday, yeah. So it was a week-long game jam instead of a 48-hour one. And, uh, yeah. And, and it ran from Monday to Monday. <clears throat> yeah, and when we had the test with people, our feedback was exactly what we set out to do. And so we just leaned harder into the feedback we got. Mm -hmm. There and, were a few key points that we were like, okay, well, we need, we need to explain that better. And that gave us some ideas for things like signs. But I think you're right. I don't think the play, like the play test was, does it make people feel this way? Oh yeah, great. It's working in that way exactly. So as long as we keep that feeling, we can, continue to expand and polish and our polish phase was i feel like we timed it really well like we did our our development we did our research well research then development then prototype and then everyone sort of looked at the prototypes um it was uh, it just felt very seamless you know when i was okay i've hit the the wall on this i'd hand it over to eddie and eddie would come back and have done a bunch of things it's like okay now i've got a load of work i can get on with and then equally uh marcus uh probably made too much work i was just like gee how do i implement all this stuff dude like i don't the level's not big enough to have all of these sounds like that man is a workhorse i can't wait till he um he's planning i i'm, I'm looking forward to when he he gets his teeth into all of the different sound stuff because he'll have a way better understanding of what it's all doing even if he doesn't yet know how to build it but you know it's not that hard really yeah i think you you've overcome a massive hurdle with this where you've you've fucked around and built a level for the first time and i i imagine played around in engine a lot more than previous especially ue4 like it must be years since yeah i not being you know, like um yeah so i'm by no means an environmental artist as well and um which means and I'm, I'm only really secondarily a character artist. The, the amount of, of work I've done in engine is significantly low. Um, so, and the stuff that I have done has only really been for aesthetic stuff. You know what I mean? Um, uh, it only put together so that it functions at like, screenshot level so that i can just take it out and paint over it mm -hmm. so having to create a level that worked and didn't just look good but also made sense and it being an environment over a character um was a huge learning curve for me personally uh but it was something i really enjoyed and i think i would definitely be keen to sink my teeth into learning more about it 
what were some of the uh the biggest challenges coming from like because uh, your your art chops are fully fully developed but it's it's the uh the new aspect of trying to do environments because you've done plenty of landscape paintings and and that sort of artwork you know concept art means that you have to learn the basics of basically all different genres of artwork um but to actually have to like brass roots get in and be like okay does this work and then you like did some stuff with the terrain on the floor and i imagine you had to like test it it wasn't like unscalable and what were some of the uh what were some of the things that what were some of the things you you had to redo because like uh, there were so many things that i had to redo with audio and i was like oh i should have done it this way the first time like one of them was um in unreal you can set up a audio blueprint which edits the attenuation and the attenuation just basically means how far you have to be from objects for the sound to fall off and so i could set up one for piano where it's a small attenuation range because you only want the player to hear the piano if they're right next to it because it means they're playing it um although eddie put in interaction circles later so that was sort of unnecessary but that was my solution for the uh for the the piano when i built it but i did them all individually and then i realized oh i can set this up as like a preferred th or a uh, preset thing for this exact radius with this exact amount of fall off and then i can just apply it to every single one and it's way quicker with their like, like a prefab yeah, it's similar to a prefab. It's it's almost like you're building a little node. Like, ah, here's my little how much sound attenuation I want node. Yeah, so my... I don't know whether I like... <clears throat> it being a game jam and the, the result... Uh, like, the desired result being kind of vague... We had a concept and like an emotional response that we wanted, but I don't think anybody within the group had like a a defined like visual vision for it, an aesthetic vision. Uh, it was a lot of experimentation and a lot of this is kind of cool and this is kind of fun and oh yeah, let's play around with this aspect of, of uh, the, the engine and I was using post-processing to, because I also had like this thing where I was I, like, if you go through the center of the room, I kind of want your vision to blur just monetarily. Um, and that was a lot of pulling and pushing and figuring stuff out, go, jumping into the game and going around and, and, and seeing, trying to look at it through the eyes of someone who is coming at it with no prior knowledge, which is obviously a difficult thing when it comes when it, when you've been building it as well. I think uh, during the time I was uh, designing the level, just blocking out in Greybox, I was watching a GDC talk about level design, which was really interesting, and they said. Uh, your level is kind of like your kitchen and when a player approaches your level for the first time it's like cooking in somebody else's kitchen mm. and that's really interesting so like I so really you like know that. like when you're cooking in your kitchen you know where all the wooden spoons are you know where your pans are you know where your 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 ingredient your, your spices and where you where you leave stuff like 
you know what I mean? Like all the knives in the kitchen, knives, which, which knife's best to use. But then when you're in somebody else's kitchen, you're, at, you're constantly turning around. And I get, I used to be a cook, so working, like I did this a lot. You constantly turn around to the guy who's working in the kitchen and saying, where's this go? What, where, where, where can I find this and this, that, and the other? Um, so you, you have to, and also, um, I spoke to Phoebe about this. Um, you have to approach it like it's the most easy, easily readable place. Like everything has to be easy to read. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't think I nailed that like, uh, at all during the game jam, but seeing what I did do and what I didn't do, uh, what I wanted to carry forward and what I needed to add or needed to do differently next time was a huge learning curve. And I think that was my, I think for me personally, that was the biggest challenge, I suppose, was figuring out how, because a, a game space isn't just a, a space that the player inhabits, but it also has to tell a story non-linearly. And that's like, or a narrative non-linearly. So it doesn't have to be so much a story as it has to be something that you go, it makes sense for the, the character, like for the player to go down there. And then if they went down there, then it would lead them back the way they came so that they would put this and this together and they would figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you have to do it in a sense that you have to do it in the a way so that if they were to do it the other way around, they would still figure the same thing out. Or and, you don't let them go the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it has to make, it has to, the player has to feel like they, they figure that out and it happened organically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you right. can't just give it to them. It's unsatisfying if you just give it to them. Portal's not a fun game if Gladys tells you everything you have to do. Yeah. Um, so, I find that part of level design really fascinating. I was reading the book, um, uh, What We Can Learn From... I, I can't remember the exact title, but the gist was like, what we can learn from architecture when we apply it to level design. Um and that was also a really interesting book about, about level design and how churches and monasteries work in the same sense, in the same way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's in a roundabout way, even though I've kind of taken down the garden path, that's the, the most challenging part about the, the game job. And a part that I really want to learn more about when it comes to game making games. Yeah, man. Well, that's uh, something I found was very challenging but also rewarding was figuring out how to get all the different sounds because that was the aspect i was tackling to not not feel like they're competing with each other too much but equally have them feel ever present and each area feels slightly unique and slightly special and offer a different sort of feeling when in that end of a corridor um, and I'm not sure I 100% nailed it, but I had some very specific things that we were trying to hit with objects that weren't moving around, so that sort of took the fall. And also, I spent a lot of time doing repo stuff. Ah, oh, repos. Yes. And I think it's the same 
the same chain of thought, right? It's, I knew what I wanted, or you, like in this case, you knew what you wanted to do. Um, and maybe you did that well, but it was the things that you didn't know you wanted to do. And maybe the things, because of, like, because of that, you did sort of unconsciously and it wasn't a decision because so i so phoebe our lecturer um i watched her play the game um over live stream and like she did some things that were really interesting in the uh so i so for example just just for the people listening we made a uh, a play experience where you're trapped in a bunker it's a first person experience and there are interactable objects around the around the bunker and it's meant to be this abstract avant-garde soundscape where you're trying to figure out what exactly has gone on um i won't say much more than that like maybe we could link the game yeah that's not that's not hard yeah but if you uh, just want to that... type it in, it's itch.io, choose your purgatory. The one with the trippy red and black and blue uh, image. Yes. On Will Jennett's itch.io page. And, um, yeah, and if you're planning on playing it, maybe we, maybe pause the video or the, or the, pause this here and then go play it for like 10 15 minutes or look at you being all professional i was thinking hmm nate's about to spoil the game here but um, yeah. <laughs> i wasn't gonna so, say anything i was just gonna let you do it and then call you out so maybe <laughs> maybe pause it here we'll, we'll just talk about like what the game is what why we did the things we did and and then this play test that you got to watch firsthand yes um so that we're not spoiling anything and then carry on listening after this so, um, there is a door that's like right in front of you as you like, uh, is, is like sort of the exit of, of the, um, the facility, or at least that was my intention. It, it was meant to be the exit. Uh, and it's big iron cast door where, with this, uh, wheel where you can press one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you can turn the wheel slightly when you do this either way one two three four five turns it one way and six seven eight nine zero sends it turns it the other way and um i wanted that to be something that the player looks at and goes there's something behind that and it looks like it it means something so i put a light underneath the crack the crevice of the door so that light spills out and um the player will go huh i Obviously, you need to get through that door, and the the thing that Phoebe did when she was playing, she went around and collected all the objects and put them near the door because they were the same color as the light that was spilling through it. And I was like, "Huh, um, I guess that kind of makes sense," but that wasn't a decision that I consciously made but it was do you, do you see what i'm saying is like yeah it was something the... that was interpreted into something that wasn't actually there or anyone could have considered as or we could have considered it perhaps but we didn't really have time like when i was designing those materials i was like i need these objects to stand out 
over the background noise of the dark environment. So I've got to have them be emissive and I've probably got to have them have a moving or scrolling texture in some way. Um, and I think I was quite happy with it. I thought, you know, considering it was a very surreal setting, I feel like the, uh, the objects being on their own, like different emissive plane, essentially they are these ethereal glowing objects. I think it worked to show that that's where the sound was coming from. Um, yes. I also, what did you think of the decision I made to put them on little emissive glowing plinths? Yeah, I like that. Um, I honestly like. I think that like uh, the whole idea for the game could have been like we could potentially uh, carry it forward into something actually playable. So the the gimmick of the game, sorry, is that there's no way out of the the environment, and uh, the idea is that the player is in a type of purgatory that that like you have to you can manipulate the objects that will emit sound and no you will event like the play, like the sound will eventually kind of drive you like mad so you'll be confused and first like maybe a, a slightly frustrated um frustration was something we we're trying to get away from but yeah uh where you try to figure out a puzzle that's unsolvable slash even if you could solve it, it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah, it's, well, it's the, the, the idea, that at least the way that I interpret it from your original concept was that you have control over the way that you interact with this space. Uh, you can control the way the sounds are arranged and the way that they make you feel is up to you, but you can't get rid of them and you can't leave this room. Yes. But you can you can have the feeling of doing something that might be affecting something which will kind of keep you going to give you a cause and effect fallacy where at least the idea was you have like this cause and effect fallacy that I'm doing something that so it must have an effect on something mm-hmm. and that like kind of stops you from just just mindlessly wandering around this uh this uh this room but in actual fact there is there's nothing to it yeah well Um, it's you present the player with a space and if you present them with a space and there's clearly nothing to do and it's just noises i imagine they'd probably get bored quite quickly but giving them just a little bit of interactivity and you saying that because we did talk about that concept the idea that people will ascribe random numbers going up to actions they've done if they're told that they're you know important and making someone the player in a game makes them think that they're important to the the progression of this room or whatever and so i think that um there there was probably some interesting emergent gameplay for certain players based on the way the sounds interact with each other where they thought oh did i just press the piano key and get a sound cue was that like a banging as a result of me hitting that note combination and they'd like listen for things and be like is that was that I, uh, I hadn't even thought about it, but it's like, I imagine that is likely to have happened for people is they think that they've, because the other thing that we did that was, uh, I can't remember whose idea it was. I think it was your idea, but we put these false clues all around the level in signs. Um, and it really, yeah. I think 
it it made it go from because that was one of the main things we got from the play test it was like uh, they didn't get that there were things to do so they were like oh it'd be cool if there was something to do and it was like oh they didn't see that they were interactables it wasn't that they didn't they didn't enjoy it or didn't get the feeling it was just they would have spent longer if they thought there was something to do and so yeah, yeah we made it so well, there, was, there was something to do but it was it was there were just like false clues that you'd never get out i i also gave it to somebody who uh played for like 15 minutes um and came back to me and was like um i really tried to get out and i couldn't couldn't get out and that was kind of 15 minutes was a long time yeah um, how long did phoebe play for out of interest like two minutes for maybe a little bit more not a lot still man yeah i was ready for like one minute <laughs> yeah uh but yeah it was very interesting um it's a very interesting project and i think if with a little bit more time to uh to brainstorm things i think we could even carry it forward into something that like would be an actual game uh i know that's not our was never our intention when going into that. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting concept of this idea of, um, uh, there's a, there's a purgatory that you're trapped in a space and you feel like you could, you could just get out. If you could just figure this out and th there has to be something that you have to, you could do. Uh, but there, there isn't. And, um, but maybe there could be more game, like maybe there could have been more gameplay. Maybe, maybe there were puzzles to solve, but eventually you kind of got to the end and it didn't do what you thought. Like maybe there could have been a cascade of puzzles that in the end you got some sort of result, but the result wasn't what you were expecting. Yeah. But that like did this, like that idea is, 100% and 10% overscoped for the gameplay that we were going to do, which... Well, it was overscoped for a week development. But yeah, I can see a version of the game where it was all, like, an unlocking jigsaw puzzle, but instead of players actually being the ones who are, like, opening the jigsaw puzzle, it's just sets of random timers. That door actually opens after between 30 seconds and one and a half minutes. And so players go through and they're like, ah, oh, I must have done something. I guess, I guess I need to bring this one with me. And then they... You know, they go and they put different items in front of different things. And yeah, I can see a version of the game that is, you know, an hour's worth of gameplay just in terms of it just unlocks like a puzzle box and people just have to sit there and experience more of it. That'd be very interesting and cool. But again, I'm not sure if it would, um, of the core concept, which we were trying to be incredibly scope specific to. And I think we succeeded really well. I think we yeah. did quite well at scoping because uh, we didn't, I don't think anyone like ended up overdoing it i mean you didn't you did overdo it one night but that was just because you couldn't sleep wasn't it like you were just like i'm just gonna work on this because i can't sleep yeah anyway. i was awake I, I think i worked till like 11 o'clock one night and then i got up at five and and worked until um worked until 10 and then obviously i had to work on my university game 10 till 3 um and then i think i did a little bit more the like the, in the evening but not too much more. No, yeah. Well, that was but the night was, of the magically appearing assets. That was just like, wow, yeah. I've gone to sleep and I've woken up and all of the assets pretty much are modelled. Interesting. 
<laughs> yeah. So, but that, you know, that's that's it's always fun, and um, that was never that wasn't a uh, decision I made based off the fact that I was awake, as opposed to, oh, we need to get this, we need to get this done in a certain amount of time. But yeah, I think coming because our plan is to do more of these. Yeah, and I think coming out of this, we've learned enough to carry into the next game jam. That hopefully we can make a bit more of a uh, an experience that is playable as opposed to uh, just an emotional experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm super hyped to make a game with gameplay. Um, yes, but I was that, really that was the big thing, right? uh, game. There isn't really any gameplay. No, gameplay is non-existent. It's uh, it's an experience. It's not really a game. But I was, I needed to make one, man. Like I've been talking about making pretty much this experience, or like thinking about this kind of experience for, for I don't know, fucking as long as I've been making games, I've been like, I want to make something real trippy and weird and off the wall. And like, I wanted to make something really weird and trippy with shaders and stuff, but I still, I still could make that. Like, the the quick bit of material work I did at the end of that project made me realize, oh, I could have easily, if I'd have scoped it, if Joe and of, uh, if Joe's PC was up to task, I think I could have easily got a bunch of weird materials together, and we could have made the level even more unnerving and agitating. Um, but. I agree. I am hyped to make a fucking platformer, classic game jam style. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be up for making a platformer, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of cool ideas that I want to do. Um, yeah, just making games for fun and and sharpening skills and and workflows and sort of figuring out how you and me work uh, together with other people. Mm-hmm. Because, it's... yeah, ultimately the plan is for me and you to... I, I'm not even sure if we're calling it a studio, but to, like, work on work on this long-term project, right? I don't know if we should yeah. let too much steam out of the bag yet, but, like, there's no, something I, I brewing. Think that's, I think that's pretty much it, is we're working... We're, gonna, we're, we're planning on taking... Um, a, a, taking on a, a longer-term project, and the game jams we're doing are sort of helping us figure out um uh you know i think the whole idea of the game jams is getting better at the concepting and execution process um like smoothing out any edges that we have when it comes to technical skill um understanding what it's like to work in a, a smaller team at least for me um and having a, a larger role to play in the creation of the game, mm -hmm. um, and how we work with not just us each other, but um, with other people that we get on board during different game jams. Because the plan is to get people like you know the, the guys we worked with over the uh, over the game jam last week were great, but I'd like to get other people in, try them out, see how we work with them. Yeah, for you sure. Know, Try, try lots of things out for on um, for size and see what we can carry into this longer t form project yeah well this is our this is our karate kid training montage moment right this is us 
punching meat in the fridge and 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 running upstairs. This is the this is the exactly. get your chops moment where it's like, what are we good at? What what do we suck at? And then when we go into the longer term project, we're not going to be as likely to uh, miss scope something. Like I don't know, oh, we've never done that element before. Hopefully, we'll have done every element of the pipeline in one small way or another. So we've got a rough understanding of how much of a task or how little of a task something really is. Cause I think until you try something, you don't know how hard it's going to be a lot of times with game development, especially like if you're really competent at 3d modeling, but you've never done any particle emissions, it's going to be like overwhelming and scary at first. And you won't know if doing that, spark explosion is going to take a long time or no time at all um and it's only through actually going in and trying things out and seeing oh okay that's pretty much the 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 effect i want or you know oh this is uh basically working the way i want it to that you go okay how long did that take and then you're like okay this normally should take this long but until you've had a stab at it you don't really uh you don't really know we've got some giant blind spots in our in our composition if we're um, trying to go forward and make a fully legitimate project with, uh, you know, full focus on it being an actual professional product. Because I, as much as I don't want to sell it as such, I think it's uh, important to, like, view every project. Like, even this project, even the Game Jam project, we did it with as much professionalism as we could muster. We should have made a splash screen, perhaps, but we didn't have our studio established, etc. like we did when I've done game jams before. But when we did, we had like a little splash screen and like we would do all of the, the, well, Joe was very good at doing the marketing side of things. I think we need to make sure we keep Joe on board with everything that we do. Cause he was a diligent yeah. little worker. Yeah. For sure. As well as Marcus as well. But I think you're right. I think we should, um, try other people try working with uh other people especially because you know joe and marcus and jarrett they're awesome but they don't they don't have skills in animation for example like we need we need to talk to uh, lots of different people and probably collaborate with lots of different people on the project as a whole and uh and it'll be better for it i think yeah yeah um i was gonna say something i can't remember or the um, yeah. I sorry, you carry on. Yeah, I think I think like without without repeating myself too much on the the team front. Uh, it w and it was kind of something I was discussing with my team earlier today. Was you can get people who are are technically good on paper. Uh, uh, but putting them together doesn't necessarily mean that they're really good as a team. And um, you know, we we were pretty we were pretty free flowing in the concept process where we got everybody involved. Uh, we threw ideas at the wall and we just discussed why we can't do this and why we can't why we could like this is overscoped or what it would take to make this and blah blah. blah. And um, it was really interesting having people who weren't devs necessarily involved or haven't done that process much. Um, and having more people in that 
like having more or different people in that conversation can really change what the game you make right yeah exactly and it's like it's not even necessarily that you couldn't have it, it you the thing uh, wow way to use a sentence well um you could viably come up with any of these ideas but i think the the group aspect and the fact that as you say everyone's got different backgrounds and different skill trees etc leads to the inspiring of ideas around the idea and it's sometimes the springboard of a stupid comment that someone makes maybe even not even seriously maybe it's a joke but then you go wait a minute that's that's dumb yeah we're joking about that but what about if we did that aspect of that and then suddenly everyone's like oh yeah then you could do this and this and this and it sort of almost comes out of you naturally if the if i think we were quite good about being diligent about never shooting down ideas too early which i think is really important is letting because it, it maybe you come up with an idea and it's a bit trash but if someone goes oh that idea sucks we're not doing that suddenly you're like oh i don't really feel like coming up with ideas anymore because my idea got attacked even if it's like a, not a personal thing uh it still yeah. feels personal if you've just come up with this fresh idea and it's, i know it's not finished yet but just give it a second while i develop it with my face and uh and people you know not always but like sometimes people are very quick to criticize an idea or say it couldn't work and i think it's only through the stealing from pixar here the blue sky phase the any idea is a good idea uh we'll chop them up later and then and then obviously the key part of that is that you do go back and chop them to pieces later i think um of the game ideas we came up with we only even two like we took three to a discussion and of those two of them only two of them i think we came up with i don't know over 10 ideas and of that yeah. only two of them even made it to the discussion board because we we're like no can that can that can that impossible too hard and then by the time we finished it's like okay we've only got two ideas left let's discuss them we discussed them and then I thought it was really cool that the uh, the team didn't necessarily agree, but once we had a, a consensus, everyone was like, okay, well, we're going forward with that idea, so I don't care what team I was on before, we're all just going to work on this. New, like, this is the idea we're all working on. Yes, yeah. That was very early on, like, after that storming, you know, when I say storming, brainstorming stage of deciding on what, we're, what we want to do, everybody was like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Um, I think also like, and what's really, really good about this game jam, whether it be a week or three days or two days or, or two weeks, even, I don't know whether you can consider that a jam, but Ludum Dare um, is a month. So Ludum Dare is a month. Oh, well, there you go. Um, that, that'd be very interesting to do. Mm -hmm. Um, what's really great about them is that... <laughs> I think when I've been doing long, longer form projects and I've been sitting down with people and we've been discussing ideas, um, people are really obsessed with the idea of this game needs to sound fun from the get-go. The concept has to write something in me and go, it would be really fun to do that. And this project specifically was a great way to not have to be confined by that concept this doesn't have to be fun this it and it that kind of leads me to a um a great idea is that i think there should be uh 
games don't always have to be fun. Like, games should I, I be do... less fun, Nate. You're right. Yes, 2020, Nate Bedford. Games shouldn't be fun. We're changing the industry. Well, well th- this is the thing, though. No, I'm jo- I'm but like... I am joking, Nate. <laughs> the, maybe we should, like, there should be an offshoot of what games are to just be experiences. And the idea of, of like, reward and sacrifice and, um, and satisfaction and, and fun, maybe that formula could be messed up a little bit. Because I feel like if... But, but I feel like if you don't, if you're like, if you're confined to that formula of, well, if I do this, then I need to, re- the player needs a reward. The player needs to do this. So it needs to be satisfying. Or if I do this, then this needs to happen or et cetera, et cetera. And I, I do get that. And I know that I understand that that's what make game, what makes games games. And, um, and this idea, this overarching idea of what is like, this has to be fun, um, which is a very, I think, a very loose concept. Um, it's, it also is quite, uh, it's quite limiting in some senses. So I think that we should have uh, a sort of subcategory, or maybe maybe a, like maybe it isn't a subcategory of games, but games being a subcategory of this, where you have interactive experiences. Yeah, I think there's a. I think we can still call them games. I think it's just games is a wider umbrella than most of the time it's considered under. Most of the time we consider what's what's fun. Like you say, it's where's the fun at? Where's the the funnest aspect of this? But I think there can be enjoyment in catharsis, right? Like crying is not considered like a fun activity. Whenever someone's crying, you're like, stop! No, no, no! Don't cry! There's no need to cry. But as soon as you stop crying, it's like. Oh, I feel like a million bucks. Like I feel like I, I could run a marathon right now, and it's a surreal feeling. But it's I think in equal parts, there's a there's a place that games can touch in our psyche that other entertainment medium can't because it doesn't have the same way of interacting with our our grey matter. And when we are met with an experience that isn't necessarily fun in the traditional like. Oh, these are really snappy, tasty controls. Like, I mean, I haven't actually played Journey, but Absu, for example, which I have played, is not a uh, fun quote unquote. I mean, yes, swimming through the ocean is fun as shit. Like, there's just no denying that. That's why I think it's such a. I love every game I ever play that's set underwater. I don't know why. It's just so satisfying to whiz around in this underwater realm. But. Absu doesn't have any traditional gameplay. It's just swim up to these things, press a button, and fish swim out. And you can grab a hold of fish, and you have to swim through this area. And it sounds really like like plain when you describe it that way. But when you think about it as a uh, a colourful exploration about reintroduction of of creatures to a mythical underwater landscape, suddenly the game becomes a more visceral and beautiful experience and the whole thing is beautiful they've done such an amazing job of their stylization and their animation and their scenes and their settings and their color palettes and everything that it it all blends together into an experience that even though you're not oh my oh no i didn't get an upgrade on my flippers ah boo abzu sucks because there's no upgrade tree on my flippers like no no one thinks that it's just this is a beautiful experience and maybe some people were like this is boring but 
that game wasn't for them, clearly. Like, you know, there's still Rocket yeah. League. You can still have Rocket League in a world where you have Absu. Yeah. And you should. And, and it it's was... important to have that. And I, and I think this, like, just to... Yeah. Um, but to circle back to the, the, the point I was trying to make before I went down this fucking road where I was like, games don't have to be fun. Like, <laughs> He's um, trying to backtrack out to, of that statement. To kind of, I, I, know, <laughs> like, I, I definitely do believe that like when it comes to shit like this but um it was it was freeing freeing to like to because because yeah so i have this this idea in my head is like why do games always have to have this sort of like trading of rewards and satisfies a like being satisfying to a player and treating the game like the the treating the player in a in a very simple way of like this color is this color. Like these two things are this, these two colors, so that they interact with each other somehow. And why do we have to treat the player that way? And why can't we just make things a little bit more complicated, a little bit more ambiguous, a little bit more um, abstract? And uh, in this project, we had the ability to do that, and it was kind of nice to just get it off my chest a little bit. I agree. I agree. You saying that it was, makes me. It was nice to just. To just do it and then go, okay, so here's the reasons why theori- theoretically the ideas in my head don't work. And here's the reason why they sometimes do. And I feel like in longer form projects, nobody's willing to take that risk, right? Yeah. No yeah. one's willing. And, and to me, this, like, everybody says, like, game jams need to answer a question. And I think to me personally, this particular game jam answered the question of these are the reasons why we do what we do but also they but but also there there is there's also room for exploration of what we can give a player before they're just completely confused that's not a question nate what can we do how far can we stretch um, like an abstract and ambiguous space before there is there there is no gameplay? Is how long will players play a game with no gameplay for? That is, I suppose, in a kind of. I I I I'm I'm being somewhat fastidious for the sake of it it's it it, i see your point exactly and it's it's so true because i think the question that it answered for me at least is what happens if i'm not so focused on the fun what if i'm focused on the feel over the fun i'm trying i'm trying to like be a bit too fucking smarter than i actually am be more avant-garde baby (laughs) that's exactly what i'm saying it's like when i'm when i'm not focused on the player having fun what can I do to make them engaged <laughs> to, yeah. to make them not just turn it off? Yeah. Yeah. It was, ah, oh, it was, it was extremely fun. I really enjoyed the, uh, the freedom that it brought. Like you say, like, it's so true that the, uh, the focus on gameplay and the focus on making everything clear is, you know, very important in most games. But when you take away that element and you put a different set of constraints on yourself and you say, I need the player to feel a certain way, it makes you design a certain way, and it's a way that doesn't often get even entertained for 
the, the briefest of moments because it's it's really hard to do and it's also not necessarily everyone's cup of tea and if it's someone not someone's cup of tea you're gonna have a very hard time convincing them to get get on board it'd be like you know oh what music are we gonna listen to on the road trip and it's like oh we could listen to bruno mars it's like no i'd rather listen to like infant annihilator for the whole road trip but i've never listened to metal before like it's just not going to be a pleasant experience for them they're not going to be able to get into it in the time that it takes for you to finish this road trip or this game jam or whatever but having everyone so willing to just explore the deep end of of what a game can be was uh was very rewarding and satisfying Yes, yeah, that is exactly the kind of what I wanted out of it and what I got out of it as well. What can a game be before it's not a game? Oh, we could I go suppose. way deeper. I'm, I'm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it. I, honestly, I think we scratched the surface, but I, I think there's some lessons that I learned in this that I could definitely take over into, uh, you know, your traditional game game and make things a little bit more interesting. I think just in terms of prototyping, I think this is definitely the way to go. Rather than, you know, I love the idea of eating the frog first, and rather than just being like, oh, God, we've got this frog that we have to eat, it'd just be, well, we'll just game jam it. We'll just jam it out as if that's our sole project, and we'll see what's possible. Let's go at it from a different viewpoint and i think if we go at it like that the whole way through and we stay focused on iterating to serve the purpose of the game then i think we can't you know there's it it's just a fun process right but i think this is the right process is using this quick agile question-based uh development you know answer a question with every prototype answer a question with every every feature you put in or answer a need, or a, you know, it's, it's going to be really cool. And then the next thing that's super cool right now is the um, the Unreal Fast Track, which is something yes. we're both participating in. Yes. Um, I didn't... So when I told you... So I said to Nate, oh, didn't really learn anything new, but it was very nice to have all the uh, information refreshed. Well, I hadn't finished that fucking work first week, and uh, and it went into doing, like, a respawn mechanic. Yes, yeah, I haven't gotten to that part of of the um, of the tutorial yet, but I know that there's like a couple more hours I still need to do. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty um, basic, but it's also well, I managed to like make an interesting mistake that led to an interesting bug, which I posted to the Unreal chat because it was quite funny. And essentially, I plugged the one, I I pulled a node out of the wrong bit of the node tree and it was respawning my character model every two seconds in the same spot where it's supposed to spawn so i'd run off and it would just leave these like third person character models there and put me on a new one every two seconds <laughs> my little scene, yeah my little scene just started filling up with dudes and i'm like what is going on here that would be a really cool mechanic i mean potentially have. it's like braid because that reminds because that reminds me of um do you remember me making that comic that I made? Like, I kind of wrote the script for it. When was this? Uh, I think it was like the first half of second year. And it was about this time traveler who, um, every time he died, he respawned, essentially, and crash-landed on the planet 
that he like where his mission took place and he would find um his dead body strewn across this landscape uh dying in different ways um and his ultimate objective was to get this MacGuffin to you know where it needs to go etc mm-hmm. um but that could actually be a really interesting mechanic potentially you like you find your like i know it already exists more or less where you find your dead body and you can like uh loot it um but i don't know maybe it's a, that's a discussion for a different time but um well it was just a, it was it was an interesting bug i don't think i it, you wouldn't do it the way i've got it there you would just have no. it so that you didn't destroy your player model when it when you died but like uh yeah it was uh i don't know it's it's not too hard you you'll you'll get through it no trouble but i just need to i need to get started on week two bet louis already bloody done it hasn't he yeah probably <laughs> um, this, week, this weekend i'm gonna sit down and and go through the rest of week one and start week two at the very least i just i need to do some sa stuff yeah man we've both got essays due on monday whoop whoop yeah so that's a fun element of school is having to write essays for things no one yeah. ever asks you to write a research paper for i suppose they might ask you to write a research paper for work but i doubt it maybe i don't know who knows could happen I'm not, I'm i not came to issue, my so. conclusion on when when houdini will kill maya Oh, you've you've got the conclusion. Yeah, I've concluded it. My conclusion is it it won't. <laughs> it's it's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna. The, Maya would have to fuck up, and Houdini would have to not see the benefit in working with them, because like, the way I see it going is they're just gonna integrate, and Houdini will become a massive part of the game dev tool like pipeline, uh, probably a lot more so than it is right now. But I think it's still Maya's not gonna go anywhere. They're still gonna keep updating it. Fair enough. But uh, I'd, I'd be interested to read it at the very least. I mean, sure, man. You're more than welcome to give it a read. Yeah. I, had a, um, I had a pretty good time writing it, to be honest. It's just, it has meant that this week where I'm looking at things like, oh, I really want to get this done or that done. It's like, oh, I've not, I really need to do this other thing first. Yes, and that's <laughs> exactly how I feel as well. And this weekend is really just going to be referencing... Um, stuff and, and formatting it and putting it in, in a good state. I haven't really gotten any feedback on it. I don't expect to do very well on the on the, the essay. On the upside, I doubt it's going to matter. I I think uh, we'll we'll probably get half Corona considerations made on that. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we win on technicality, which is my favourite kind of winning. Oh man, yeah, best kind of win. Ah, we won technically, the best kind of winning. Yeah. Ah, dude. On that note, yes. I think I'm going to finish up and um, get my get myself some food. Solid, solid strategy. We've been going for about an hour, right? Ah, something like that, my man. Yeah, if you're if you're getting uh, sleepy poos, then yeah, we can uh, we can we can bounce the track. Do you want to just call out all your shiz once again? I'm sure people can look back three or four episodes and see your beautiful smiley name. But uh, I uh... yeah, sure. So my name is Nate Bedford. Um, I am a 
Nathan Bedford, I believe, is on a, on an art station. Um, I am NJ Bedford on Instagram, where you can find all my work, uh, and you can play um, some of my games. I'm sure are linked at various places, uh, like Speakeasy and um, Planetary Pest Control, which is the game I'm currently about to finish off. Yeah. So. And I've just done some fun effects for you guys. Yes. Yeah. But that's a, yeah. a whole other story that we didn't talk about. So, boo. Sad for the audience. Bye, guys. Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Peace. Bye.